tonight's talk will be about diligence. In the course of your meditation practice, you must have heard many talks about a great range of different topics. Talks about the four foundations of mindfulness, or the seven factors of enlightenment, or the five spiritual faculties, or the four noble truths, or the ten paramis, or the four of this and the seven of that. And so this can be quite overwhelming, and the nine of this and the seven of that can easily get mixed up, or it can become distressing to the point that one thinks one will never get it, and so therefore wanting to give up altogether. The Buddha could be very elaborate and go into great details at times, but then at other times he could be very brief, could be to the point. At one time, the king Pasenadi of Kosala went to the Buddha with a question. The king was a devout disciple of the Buddha and he had much respect for the Buddha. And they were about the same age. It is said that the king would visit the Buddha up to three times a day. He would bow at his feet and worshipped him, worshipped them, the feet, with kisses. And so this is from a conversation between the two of them. King Pasanadi uh, asked the Buddha, is there one thing which secures both kinds of good, the good pertaining to the present life and that pertaining to the future life? And the Buddha said, there is one thing which secures both kinds of good, the good pertaining to the present and that pertaining to the future life. And so King Pasanati wanted to know, and what is that one thing? And the Buddha said, diligence, O great king. Diligence is the most common English translation for the Pali word apamada. This Pali word apamada comes from the word pamada, its opposite. And pamada is usually translated as negligence or heedlessness. It can also mean to be absent-minded, to be careless, unmindful, to be inattentive, thoughtless, lax, slack, or sloppy. So, apamada is the opposite of pamada, and as such, it is usually translated as diligence or heedfulness. 
And so with this, it also includes the meanings of to be careful, to be alert, to be attentive, to be thorough, or to be meticulous, or to be vigilant. It can be said that Apamada covers the three baskets of the Buddhist scriptures, or all, the Buddha's all of the Buddha's teachings uh, are contained in Apamada. Whatever the Buddha taught, wherever the Buddha taught, to whomever the teaching was addressed, it always boils down to apamada. Don't be negligent. Don't be heedless. Don't be careless. Or, in other words, boil down to be diligent, be careful, be attentive. <clears throat> to illustrate the wide scope of diligence, the Buddha used the analogy of different footprints, like there are footprints of elephants, of cows, horses, or humans. And among these footprints, the footprint of the elephant is the biggest one in size. All the other footprints can fit into the elephant's footprint. And likewise, the Buddha pointed out that all wholesome qualities are based in and rooted on apamada. In other words, diligence is foremost among all wholesome qualities. And so, in the Buddha's words, he said, just as the footprints of all legged animals are encompassed by the footprint of the elephant, and the elephant's footprint is reckoned the foremost among them in terms of size, in the same way, all wholesome qualities are rooted in diligence. They converge in diligence, and diligence is reckoned the foremost among them. A sentence that the Buddha used very often was apamadena sampadeta, which can be translated as strive on diligently or don't be negligent. After the Buddha became the Buddha, he lived for another 45 years, during which he taught the Dhamma. And during these 45 years, he gave many different teachings on many different subjects. But the Buddha did not let pass one day without reminding his disciples to be diligent. After coming back from their daily alms round, 
The Buddha and the monks would first wash their hands and feet and then they would sit down and the Buddha uh, would give a talk encouraging and inspiring the, mo the, the monks. And one thing he mentioned every day was apamadena sampadeta. Don't be negligent. Strive on untiringly. Continue with diligence. And these were also the words that the Buddha used before he entered Parinibbana, before his final passing away. And in this way, these words became famous as the Buddha's last word. He said, now monks, I declare to you, all conditioned things are of the nature to pass away. Strive on diligently. It is both remarkable and significant that the Buddha used these words as his final message. He could have singled out a certain wholesome quality that needed to be developed, such as panya, wisdom, or virya, energy, or he could have mentioned karuna, compassion, or the Buddha could have stressed the understanding of dependent origination, or he could have mentioned the importance of practicing the Noble Eightfold Path. But no, the Buddha simply said, Apamadena Sampadeta. And why did he say this? Because Apamada is foremost among all the wholesome qualities. When diligence is present, then the other wholesome qualities are also developed and brought to perfection. So in other words, if we can establish diligence, then this will lead to liberation, to enlightenment. As you can see, the way to liberation is not such a difficult or complicated one. It's enough to remember just one thing, apamada. Don't be negligent, be diligent, or simply continue to do your practice. This is all you need to do. And this will lead you to the final goal. So this is actually a very powerful teaching. Tulku Orgyen Rinpoche was a famous teacher in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. And he used to say, Please be diligent in practice. In truth, 
Diligence makes the difference between Buddhas and ordinary beings. So, in regard to what should we be diligent? Or what do we need to be careful of? One way is to say that we need to be diligent and careful in regard to develop kusala, wholesomeness, to develop wholesome qualities. And so we could say we should be diligent to do what should be done and we should be diligent to do or we should be diligent to avoid what should be avoided. The ethical guidelines give us the most basic frame to do what should be done and to avoid what should be avoided. Like the first precept is to refrain or to avoid from killing living beings. And what we should do is uh, to protect all forms of life. Or another way of developing wholesomeness is this. We should not be negligent in performing the wholesome actions of dana, sila and bhavana. That is developing and generosity, virtue, and meditation, including both samatha and vipassana meditation. So then, the next question that arises is, why do we need to perform these wholesome actions? Or, what is the point of cultivating generosity, virtue, and meditation? As the Buddha said before his final passing away, all conditioned things are of the nature to pass away. Because conditioned things are subject to disappearance, they pass away, they vanish, they disappear. Everything that is conditioned will finally come to an end. And this is true for both mental and physical phenomena. They are all subject to passing away. And so the fact that everything conditioned passes away means that these things can never be really satisfying or fulfilling. They can never be the basis for real satisfaction or happiness, fulfillment or peace. But happiness, fulfillment, peace is what we want, isn't it? And so, therefore, we need to find another way of achieving lasting happiness and true peace.
the Buddha pointed out that happiness and peace can be found in a purified and liberated heart and mind. And this is a heart and mind that are able to experience the unconditioned. In the unconditioned, there is no arising and passing away. And as a result of that, there is calmness, stillness, peace. So in the absence of this constant turmoil of appearance and disappearance, there is finally stillness, there is peace. The world display, displays its richness in uncountable ways. There are so many forms and shapes and colors and textures and there are uncountable thoughts and ideas and memories and fantasies and so on. However, all these different forms and manifestations, they boil, boil down to two things. They boil down to nama and rupa, or mentality and materiality, or mental and physical phenomena. On an ultimate level, this is all there exists, nama and rupa. But on a conventional level, we find so many different manifestations. For example, there are living beings. And among the living beings, we have humans. And human beings, in turn, are differentiated from each other by their names. Mary, Peter, Kathy, or there is Obama, Putin, Merkel, or we have Sayado Upandita, Sayado Ujanaka, Sayado Uindaka, and so on. Although we find several billion people in this world, they are all human beings. In regard, in this regard, they do not differ from each other. And when we boil down human beings to what they are on an ultimate level, we only find mental and physical phenomena. There is only nama and rupa. And these nama and rupa are in a constant process of arising and passing away. By now, you have come to realize for yourself that these processes in the body and the mind are constantly changing. Thoughts come and go, and each arises and then disappears. Or a sound disrupts the quiet and then dissolves again. Or a pain sneaks into the knee stays there for a while and then leaves again. Or 
boredom sets in, but then it dissolves with the lunch gong. In regard to this conditioned phenomena, it can also mean to understand their insubstanti insubstantiality or to see their ephemeral nature. Or in other words, we need to see and understand that we should not overestimate or overrate the value of these changeable and unreliable things. For example, Achan Cha, a Thai a meditation master, he would see a new glass as already broken. In this way, he could use it as long as it was not broken, but then he would not be distressed when it eventually broke. Achan Cha had a very realistic outlook on the nature of things. So he would, he would use the new fancy glass that the devotee had offered to him, but knowing very well that it wouldn't last forever. Or in regard to the loss of a dear one or the loss of a pet, if people really understood the insubstantiality of all forms of life, that means to understand the anatta nature, the not-self nature, the impersonal nature, then there would be much less grief and lamentation around this world. To think highly of someone or to overestimate the value of something, this is quite natural for human beings. Human beings place value in almost everything that can be found on this planet. Even an old piece of bone can become a priceless treasure for a museum. However, the Buddha often reminded his disciples, don't overestimate things. Don't think so highly of yourself, of others, of the world. Everything in this world is of the nature to pass away. It's like a mother who explains her young excited son that the beautiful rainbow in the sky will not last, but that it is bound to disappear after a few moments. People place a lot of value in relationships, beauty or wealth, good health, success or material possessions. And so they make these things the basis of their happiness. But in fact, all these things are dukkha in an ultimate sense because they are all subject to pass away. They are subject to dissolution. 
people do not see these things as dukkha, as unsatisfactory, because they do not really pay attention to these things. They are heedless in regard to the nature of these things. They only look very superficially at the new surfboard and are happy with the fleeting satisfaction that they can derive from it. So they only see the enticing, the pleasure-promising side of a thing. They are not aware of its flaws. It's like being seduced by the nice icing on the cake and then wholeheartedly taking a bite, not being aware that the inside of the cake is made from cardboard. <laughs> when we are not constantly diligent, when we are not attentive and heedful, then we are prone to become the victims of the sankharas. Sankharas are conditioned things, which includes our body, our mind, and material things. Without diligence, we perceive these sankharas on a very superficial level. So then we see the body, the mind, and material things in a distorted way. And to see things in a distorted way, to get the distorted view, this is due to the so-called vipalasas. Vipalasa means distortion or perversion. So this leads to a distorted or perverted view of reality. These vipalasa, they distort reality and they are like crafty liars that make people see things in an incorrect way. Of course, it's only for those people who are negligent and heedless. And so there are four areas that these vipalasas uh, distort. What is impermanent is seen as permanent. What is unsatisfactory is seen as satisfactory. What is actually not self is seen as self. And what is impure is seen as pure or beautiful. And so in this way, the Vipalasas give a completely wrong impression of the world. And because people are the victims of these liars, they do not understand the Buddha's teaching of Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta and Asuba, teaching of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, not-self, and uh, impurity. 
when they hear that things are impermanent, unsatisfactory, selfless and impure, they think that this is a very pessimistic or depressing view of the world and of life. Last year, when I was in Burma, a Burmese man came to the monastery where I, I usually stay. He came to see the Sayadaw, Sayadaw Oindaka. And he was a disciple of Sayadaw. And so he came uh, to tell him about his latest understanding or insight. And he said to Sayadaw that uh, his daughter was not well, that she uh, suffered from uh, having a swollen body, and then saying that his son uh, was very sick because he was overweight, and also saying that his wife was very sick because she suffered from a kidney disease and twice a week she had to go to the hospital to get dialysis. And he said that um, always the day before she had to go to the hospital, she suffered most. She was in a lot of pain. And so he, the husband, uh, gave her massages to relieve her pain a bit. And so he said to Sayadaw that while massaging his wife, sometimes he thought it would be better to die. And he said, like, when I was young, I did not see life as being unsatisfactory. I didn't believe that life was dukkha, suffering. At that time, I was young and healthy. I was powerful and I had money. So I could not accept that life is dukkha. However, now I have come to see that life is unsatisfactory. Now I can accept it because I have caught a glimpse of this truth. So with experience and getting older, or with the practice of meditation, we can come to understand that the world, our life, and our body and mind are fleeting in their nature, and so that they are unsatisfactory. And so we come to see that these things will never give us real happiness or lasting peace. The Buddha had stated it very clearly. Conditioned phenomena have the nature to pass away. But the Vipalasas, these liars, make people believe that they have control over their lives control over their bodies, over their minds. 
And with that they make people believe that they have an I, a me, or a self, a soul. These vipalasas are like very skilled magicians. Isn't it fascinating to watch a magician and to be completely taken in by the appearances that he creates? Like the rabbits that appear on the top of his head or how he turns a bundle of straw into a snake or how he transforms a little stone into a cute little bird. But in reality, there is no inherently existing ego or self or I. The I or the ego is like the rabbits created by the magician. And in reality, people do not have an absolute control over their lives, their bodies and their minds. But living beings take these natural processes of body and mind as an I, an ego, or they think in terms of I, me, mine. They take these processes of Nama and Rupa to be a man, a woman, a child, a duck or a deva. In Burma, as well as in other Asian countries, people raise ducks in the same way as they raise cows, sheep or goats. And in the same way as a cow herd needs to watch over a herd of cows, a duck herd needs to watch over the ducks. And so a duck herd would take out the ducks to a pond or a river where they could spend the day eating and swimming in the water. And in the late afternoon, the duck herd would guide uh, the ducks back to their home. Now, there was a flock of wild ducks that came daily to a pond in the forest somewhere in the countryside of Burma. And so they would spend the whole day at the pond, feeding on the water plants and happily playing in the water. And one day it happened that a dull-witted man from the neighboring village came to the pond and when he saw the ducks, he exclaimed, Oh, look at these ducks. They are well fed. Look how gorgeous they are. I wonder to whom they belong. <coughs> on the other side of the pond, an elderly man was sitting on a big rock near the water. And so he heard the dull-witted man's words and he thought to himself, well, these ducks, they do not belong to anybody. They are wild ducks. But 
this guy, this man assumes that they are domesticated ducks, that they belong to somebody. What if I tell him that they are domesticated ducks and that they belong to me? So he called the dull-witted man and said, it seems that you take delight in these ducks. Do you want them? Of course, I want them. So if you wish, I will sell them to you. Ah, how much for one duck? I will give you a good price. 100 chat for a duck. The chat is the Burmese money and 100 chat would be about 10 cents. So, please count the ducks in the pond. And so after a while, the dull-witted man said, there are about 200 ducks in the pond. And so the elderly man said, well, then give me 20,000 chats and the ducks are yours. So the dull-witted man gave him the 20,000 chats and with this he owned the ducks. At least this is what he thought. He did not realize that this elderly man had lied and sold the wild ducks as domesticated ducks. And so now the dull-witted man was very proud to own such a big flock of ducks. In the meantime, the ducks had gathered at the eastern side of the pond. And so he went to the eastern side of the pond to get hold of the ducks. But wild ducks are not used to human beings and so they noisily moved to the western side of the pond. The dull-witted man ran to the western side of the point uh, pond, uh, shouting, my ducks, my ducks, hey, wait. However, as he ran there, the ducks moved to the northern, northern side of the pond, with the dull-witted men running after them, shouting, my ducks, my ducks. And so in this way, he spent the whole day running after the ducks because he took these wild ducks to be his ducks. He firmly believed that now these ducks belonged to him. Obsessed by the thought that he was the owner of these ducks, he ran after them the whole day, trying uh, to catch them, but he never could get hold of them. In the late afternoon, the wild ducks had eaten enough and so they flew back into the forest. When the ducks started to fly away, the dull-witted man was very distressed. Where are my ducks going? What are my ducks doing? As he saw them flying away, he started to cry over the loss of his ducks. It was only because he didn't know that these ducks were wild ducks that he suffered greatly 
and was overcome with distress. We all and most living beings can be compared to the dull-witted man, taking the wild ducks to be our ducks. Likewise, parents regard the children as their children. A husband takes his wife to be his wife. A daughter takes the father to be her. A daughter takes the father to be her father. Or a young man takes the car to be his car. Or a little girl takes the doll to be her doll. However, parents, fathers, wives, children, cars and dolls are all like the wild ducks. All these things and persons cannot be owned. With the vipalasas distorting their view, people do not know that the wild ducks are wild ducks. So they take them as their ducks and then claim ownership over them. As we have seen before, what really exists on an ultimate level is nama and rupa, mental and physical phenomena. My children do not exist. My daughter does not exist. My wife does not exist. Or my car does not really exist. My doll does not exist. I remember so well when I did my kind of first uh, meditation retreat in Watswan Mok, in a monastery in the south of Thailand. Next to the meditation hall, there was a big clearing in the forest. And so we went out there to do our walking meditations. And I chose a path between uh, a couple of trees. It was a congenial place to do the walking meditation. And in every walking meditation period, I would go out there and do my walking meditation there. And so a couple of days went by. And on the third day, as I went out of the meditation hall to my spot, another person was there. Another person dared to take my meditation path. I was really upset and got furious and angry. How can you dare to go on my spot? Haven't you seen that I have been there for the last two days? That's my place. <sighs> so, I started to claim ownership uh, over this, this stretch 
between the two trees. But after the initial uproar in my mind, I realized how silly that was, how I was completely nuts to claim ownership over this path. From our point of view, it is so obvious that the dull-witted man was trying to control something that was completely out of the range of his control. It's so clear that there was no way he could claim ownership over these wild ducks. But he had become the victim of a liar who sold him these ducks as domesticated ducks. Likewise, under the influence of the Vipalasas, people believe that there are men and women, cars, dolls, etc. And not only this, they even claim ownership over these things. This is my son, this is my house, my car. The Vipalasas can run their show because people are negligent and heedless. Negligence and heedlessness is pamada. It's the opposite of apamada. When we practice meditation, we practice with diligence, or at least we try to be diligent and careful. And so as a result, we are no longer the victims of the vipalasas, these crafty liars. Through diligent practice, we come to see that things are fleeting and impermanent, that they are unsatisfactory, not self and impure. And with deepening practice, this understanding becomes clearer and more obvious. With the realization of the first stage of enlightenment, this wrong view of a person or an I, a self, is completely uprooted. And so then this leaves no doubt that a so-called I or self does not exist. Then it's clearly understood that what exists is only nama and rupa, mental and physical phenomena. Ordinary people need sensual input to be happy and satisfied. That's why they listen to music, read magazines and books, watch TV or DVDs, or go out for a candlelight dinner, and so on. Most people would be very unhappy and frustrated if they were deprived of the sensual input through the different sense doors. 
indulging in sensual pleasures of one kind or another is what they are used to. This is what they are familiar with. This is their habitual way of living. When a fish is taken out of the water and put on dry land, it flips around. It wants to go back into the water. Like fish that are taken out of the water and put on dry land, so are ordinary people when they are deprived of the stimulation uh, through the sense objects. For example, I strongly felt this deprivation of sensual input when I first went to Burma to practice meditation. I diligently did my practice, sitting, walking, being mindful of all the daily activities, and I had my eyes restrained to a great degree. But after some time, I got this strong desire to, to get to, to see, to, to get something new, to have some other, better, more exciting uh, experience, sensual input. But of course, in the center, uh, there was nothing available. And so, my mind, in great despair, it started to read the ingredients of my toothpaste. <laughs> Finally, something new, something different. And strangely enough, it did it for several days. But then, after several days, this was no longer new and exciting, so the mind searched for something else. And then it found the uh, shampoo of my roommate in the bathroom. So reading the ingredients of her shampoo. In daily life too, the mind is always hunting for sensual input, for some exciting stimuli. And today's world floods us with an almost overwhelming mass of sense stimuli. A friend of mine visited Bhutan last year, this small kingdom in the Himalayas. And she said that one of the nice things she noticed was the fact that there were no billboards along the roads or in towns. And in the towns and villages, there were no big and elaborate signs for the shops. There was just an ordinary sign saying bakery or butcher. She said that she found it very calming and relaxing. Most people in the West are no longer really aware of the sensual bombardment that they are subjected to all day long. 
So when ordinary people are deprived of the stimulation through sensual objects, they cannot stand it. Then they get nervous or frustrated, upset or depressed. And so usually people chase after sensual objects and then they indulge in these sense pleasures. This can take the form of indulging in food or drinks or of feeling compelled uh, to go to all the concerts or of buying more shoes or more clothes than they actually need. A husband of a friend of mine, he had about 20 pairs of shoes before he got married, my friend told me. Apparently, he just needed that to feel okay or maybe to prop up his self-esteem. So whatever sense object it is, it makes people feel happy and it seems to be satisfying, it seems to be fulfilling. And all these activities are done in a state of heedlessness, carelessness. Because the only thing that counts is the enjoyment and to have a happy feeling through the gratification of the sense desires. If we, th if we think that nowadays it has gotten worse in regard to indulgence in sense pleasures, I think we are a bit too pessimistic. It must have been the same at the time of the Buddha. Otherwise, he would not have repeatedly stressed the need for apamada, the need for diligence, heedfulness or careful attention. Also nowadays, we are, or there are teachers uh, reminding their students of Appamada. For example, my teacher Sayadaw Ujjanaka, he always encourages his uh, meditators to continue the practice, to not give up, encouraging them to be diligent. In this way, saying that they just should do the practice, just should do the sitting, the walking, being mindful of the daily activities. And then the Dhamma will take care of the rest. As the Buddha said, diligence is reckoned the foremost quality among all the wholesome qualities. With diligence as the basis, all the other wholesome qualities will be developed and come to fruition. I will close this talk with the words of the Buddha. Whatever should be done by a compassionate teacher who, 
out of compassion, seeks the welfare of his disciples that I have done for you. These are the roots of trees. These are empty huts. Meditate. Do not be negligent, lest you regret it later. This is our instruction to you. Let's sit quietly for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.